while we're here. So what, 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 what I have you? arrived. Where's my bike? You don't. Enough with the bike. You know, there's, there's so much drama. So much drama with the bike. We're talking. We're here to talk about donuts and uh, knives out. We're gonna we're gonna stab each other in the back. And we have a special guest on the episode today. Our good friend Andy is here. Woo! And he's gonna talk to us about Ryan Johnson's cinematography, Knives Out, The Last Jedi, and everything good in the world. This is 100% an episode focused on movies, nothing else. Which is what the podcast kind of started out being, but uh, it's not always that. So as always, here we go. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Here's to episode number two that I'm holding Franco to. Accountable to. Accountable to. Because I said there was going to be two episodes. I'm trying to backtrack on us. For today's episode, we have a special guest with us. Our good friend Andy is a Ryan Johnson scholar. Uh, He's seen all of Ryan Johnson's films and um, admires his writing abilities. And I would also say has probably stuck it to a couple trolls on the internet who don't seem to appreciate Ryan Johnson's films in the way that perhaps they should or speak to that yeah um i mean we're here today to talk about the greatest like detective movie of 2019 right oh yeah out. yes oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay um that's right Knives out. yeah i um, actually have not still seen detective pikachu <laughs> uh i saw a tweet today about it uh, it's the kids bop version of blade runner um anyway <laughs> um so yeah nice out. Uh, ryan johnson he's uh He's definitely one of my favorite working directors today. I've been a big fan of his since Brick, um, which came out in like 2005. This so, is like first sleuth film since Brick, right? I mean, uh, yeah, they're very different though. Very, very right. different. Yeah, It's very cool to see like a director like have seen him come up through the years. So I'm excited to talk about this. And in, in other news, we lost Carol Spinney today. If you don't know who he is, uh, he's probably been a big influence on all y'all childhood. He voiced the, he was the voice of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch in Sesame Street, and he passed away at the age of 85 today. We were going to pour one out for Carol Spinney, but um, we were on in your my carpet. house, and I don't want to get coffee <laughs> on my carpet. We're all drinking coffee, except for DeAndre. DeAndre finished his coffee. So, uh, uh, hypothetically, I guess we will pour one out for Carol Spinney. Well, I was going to say, let's raise a toast to Carol Spinney. I head. don't got no glass anymore. All right, well, <laughs> raising my hand. All right. To you, Carol Spinney. Thank you for all your hard work and your years as Big Bird. It was a big part of my childhood. And Oscar the Grouch, you will be missed. Anyways. Both those characters? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Could you imagine the two different voices on that? Like, like I guess they kind of sound similar when I think about it, but it, like I would have never... Well, you know what's even crazier? So, you know who voiced Miss Piggy for, like, years? Was it Frank Oz? It was Frank Oz. Yeah. Frank, who's in Knives Out. Yeah. yeah. So, it's 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 crazy. A little bit of... And Fozzie Bear, right? Or am I imagining that? I think that might be the case. I can't remember if Jim Henson did Fozzie Bear. Okay. But I think Fozzie Bear may have been yeah. Frank Oz as well. But So, um, that's just... A, before we get into what we loved about the film... And any critiques we have, I don't know if we will have any of those. I don't really have any, but I don't know if you have some. But um, while we were watching it, so I saw the movie. I've seen it twice. Uh, DeAndre went with me the second time. And when we were watching the movie, when Frank Oz came on, I was like, that's Frank Oz. And DeAndre looked at me and was like, I could tell that he didn't know who Frank Oz was. No, you didn't. You kept nudging me and be like, that's Frank Oz. I know. I kept doing it. But then the third time you looked at me and I was like, I don't think he knows. And then I told you at the end when the credits, when you hit me one more time, you're like, see Frank Oz. And I was like, who's Who's Frank Frank Oz? Oz? (laughs) And for people who don't know, Frank Oz is also the voice of Yoda, which uh, is kind of cool because um, Ryan Johnson obviously directed The Last Jedi, in which Yoda appears. Spoiler alert, I guess. If you haven't seen it by now, you know. There is also a reference other than that. Get your life together. To to, uh, The Last Jedi, a creative character that Ryan Johnson wrote into the story, which... Is a giant like. This is my response to you, you assholes, continuing <laughs> to like hate on Last Jedi. Like I don't really care. Um, 
but overall, yes, the movie was fantastic. Like just the the first go around watching, it, I'm really excited to watch it like eight more times. But yeah. all the all the symbolism, the subplots, the how everything wraps together in the end is just fantastic. And I think was it you, Franco, who on Twitter posted about whoever said that we need a whole like saga of that was Priscilla Page. So shout out to Priscilla Page, my favorite uh, film writer. She said that we should have a whole series of um, Benoit Blanc movies. That's his name, right? It's uh, Benoit. Yeah, Benoit Blanc. But then they call him Benny. Benny Blanc. But you were calling him like Benoit LeBlanc or something. I call him (laughs) LeBlanc for some reason. Yeah. No, I I think this is. I would say this is probably Ryan Johnson's best movie. Like, and that's coming from someone who absolutely adores like The Last Jedi. And all of his other movies. Yeah. But I definitely think this is the movie where he like really excelled in what he does best. Yeah. Um, which is to not only, I, I don't know, like everyone says he subverts genres, but I feel like he has a way of blending genres mm-hmm. in a way that uh, does ultimately subvert them, but um, also does a great job at like bringing a real, real poignant message to his film that I think is timely and effective and also doesn't detract from the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I would honestly say that in all the movies that I've seen, even though he plays with expectations, I've never felt that he was like, like I always felt I could always feel how much he loved those traditions that he was working in. If that makes sense. No, definitely. I think that's very true. And uh, you start getting to see that now. They're, uh, he's tweeting and others are showing off behind the scenes things on Twitter. And he's like responding to it, being like, oh, this was one of my favorite things. It was great working with this person. Oh, yeah. Like um, when, um, his cinematographer yeah. was tweeting about like how they uh, had these like matte yeah, things they're, like they're, where they got the reflections in the glasses yeah. to like re- look like the room. And that they, they didn't even like think of that. Like the key grip was the one who like sat back and like, I said, well, if we did this, we could get that reflection off their glasses. You know, it's something they didn't even think about. It was their, which is great. Like when your collaborative team is like overall thinking about your, like, how do we make this even more like mm-hmm. something? And yeah, so that there's like little details like that. Yeah. Really. There was, um, was it Jamie Lee Curtis's character? So they have like little squares like that bounce off the light from her glass and it looks like a window pane somewhere else. Yeah. And then, uh, there was another one with Daniel Craig, um, in I think the hospital. Yeah, they had to do like a forced perspective, yeah. like matte painting where uh, they held it up over the camera equipment, like lighting and stuff. And it looked, yeah, you couldn't even tell it was like uh, fake. Like, And then they did it in Last Jedi apparently too. Someone pointed out that with uh, Phasma's helmet in the reflection, you see it's it's the, uh, the Pinewood Studios lighting, but the way they built the set made it look exactly like it was supposed to be there. So you don't even like catch it being different i'm trying not to like fanboy too hard but like i'm just thinking about all the things that i've seen ryan johnson do in his films and i just think he is such a just like a force of creativity he's just so good at what he does as a filmmaker and so like one of the things for me with this movie that i love the most is also one of the things that i love the most about the last jedi which is that like if you follow i was telling deandre this if you follow ryan johnson on twitter which i think we all do um, like or on social media or whatever, or just pay attention to him. He doesn't really wade into like current events too, too much. Like he'll comment on something here and there. He'll like tweet, he'll retweet something, but he's not somebody that you think of. And like, you immediately come to mind. Like that guy is uh, an activist. Like that, that guy's a, you know, somebody that we're looking to for his, his take on everything. And what I find so admirable in his work is like, he doesn't have to be that because you watch his work and he says what he sees in the world and what he sees as a solution to what's going on in the world. At least that's the way I, I watch his movies. And and that's how he gives his opinion, which to me is like one of the greatest things you can do. Well, with, he lets it, art. he lets it, yeah, he lets it flow creatively. He doesn't express it. You know, because it's social media. There's no reason to do it there. Yeah. So he puts it all in his storytelling and what he writes. And obviously it's very creative because it's not it's not like a docudrama or something that's just like pointing out a very obvious 
problem and solution. It's let's let's have a creative story where this detective comes in and throughout it, you learn something maybe about yourself or about some other things that you never actually really thought about. And that's what I feel like why a lot of those like handful like Last Jedi fans um, are so PO'd with the movie is that they like it was like a reflection and they got pissed off about it and they were just like on and on and on and on and on about like this isn't my like Star Wars. It would never like be this way kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because he's injecting reality into it. And a lot of people don't like that when it comes to film because it they they want to escape from reality and not have to think about things in the real world going on. But a lot of great films come from showing you something without you realizing what you're learning about until the end when you start thinking about it. And then you real you, you know, you create an opinion um, whether negative or positive about the film. And I mean, that is great filmmaking. Honestly, I don't know where else to go with that, but yeah. But, um, I mean, one of the things that, uh, like the movie really does well is it, I don't feel like it's ever mean about its message either. Mm-hmm. It's ever like, Oh, like these people who think this way are just like, I mean, the family in the movie is all terrible people. <laughs> like even the one that they call an SJW is the one who ends up ratting out the uh, yeah. main characters, mother's immigrant status and I think that was very intentional because I think that when you look at it, when you look at the pol- politics of the world today, you have very like wealthy class privileged people who might make arguments for people of lower class status. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to them having to then do something about it or lose part of their status to lift those people up, then it becomes a different ballgame for them. Yeah, and like I think that is one of the things that the movie does very well. It's talking, it talks about that privilege and class politics that I don't think a lot of movies touch on. Um, even ones that are very politically driven, usually they'll be very condemn or condemning of like um, you know maybe racial classes, like you know, but they don't go into the wealth class yeah. as much. Um, like another movie that also ends up without um, Get Out, uh, you know. Is also very like political message in the last couple years, but I feel like that movie was also very uh, critical of like neoliberal like ideas ideas of like how to uh, use like certain populations to get the votes and like you know yeah. and um, so it's just interesting that to me the two of the greatest movies to come out in like the last decade, uh, Knives Out and Get Out, are both movies that aren't afraid of criticizing what would be more their side. Yeah. I would even yeah. say like some of the criticizing some of the people that are watching the movie. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, and get, like the thing that comes to mind when you mentioned get out is the, um, the, who ultimately ends up being like the evil dad who says, um, you know, who would have voted for Obama a third time. Yeah. Best president of my lifetime. That guy. <laughs> I actually that was really good. Thanks. I really love that. Actor. Yeah, that actually was pretty on point. <laughs> um, but and Bradley then, Whitford is in the room with us guys. Uh, yeah, right here. <laughs> love that guy. But um, what's his name? Bradley Whitford. Yeah, great actor. Bradley, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Oh um, my god! <laughs> wait, I'll say, oh my god, and then you do. Have you seen his other movie that came out recently? Which one? The, the one with the giant monster. So I'll say, oh my God. And then you'll say... Oh Godzilla? Yeah. Well, you know the, his famous line? That, you no, know, you don't remember wow. that? He's all, oh my God. And he's all, Zilla. Yeah. Zilla. He's like looking at the computer screen and he's just like, Zilla. Zilla. And it's just like one of the funniest things I've seen in a trailer where I'm just like, okay, that's just like the dumbest line. <laughs> but all right, you went there. It's cool. He... Um, I started to really love him because uh, he was on real time with Bill Maher. I don't like Bill Maher very much, but like I, for some reason I was watching a clip and I just remember like they were all talking about something was totally different. He was just like, my mother said to me once when I was a little boy that we all have to be a community. And like, I was like, this is so unrelated, but he's so wholesome and sweet. <laughs> like, I just, I just, I just, I don't know. I just really appreciate like him. the guy. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. But um, 
No, what I was going to say is like that does connect really well to, I don't remember her character's name, but um, maybe we should look that up. Uh, Tony Collette's? No, her daughter. <clears throat> um, gosh, yeah, I can't remember her name. It's played, or she's played by Catherine Langford. Yeah. Yeah. From um, 13 Reasons Why. That's right. Yeah. And Avengers. Oh, well, yeah. You wouldn't know that. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, no, but she, um, Meg. Meg, that's right. Meg Thromby. So yeah, the way that Meg kind of shows that she like, yeah, she'll pay lip service to these things, but she's willing to betray Marta when her status in the world is threatened. Yeah. And it's also her well-being is threatened. A big peer pressure all like thing. Cause when she has that phone call with Marta, um, obviously we shift to her perspective and it's the whole family just like staring at her the whole time. And like, I'm sure she, it was definitely a status thing, but at the same time it, it was enhanced by her family turning to her and be like, well, you're connected to her really well. You need to, uh, she'll listen to you. And you know, like, it's like, uh, what do I do? So one of the best running gags with Marta too, is, uh, when each family member kind of says a different country of where she's from. (laughs) Yeah. And what's funny about that is the way it started. Yeah. What's funny about that is because she was, as far as I know, understand in the movie, she was actually born in America. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't realize that too. Yeah. I had to think about that. I was like, oh, it's she's her like, mom that was undocumented. Yeah. And so it's just, it's kind of crazy to me that um, like you have this uh, like joke that is also very poignant and like how like, you know, people kind of talk about immigrants and like it really doesn't matter where they're from. Like in the end, like, I mean, it kind of does like that one uh wife of uh, Walter was all like, Oh, you know, I'd be the same, saying the same thing if it was the Europeans coming in droves. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Like, and she says that, but we all know that's not the case. Um, Definitely. And but, well, another so, thing that's missed that I just realized too, is the fact that like, she's a nurse, like she's, her status is not of like, Oh, she's like, you know what we were talking about before the podcast, like yeah. being in an art and whatever. She like went to school, became like a nurse and, is a caretaker for for their dad oh, that, oh. and that's like a, a stature that like you wouldn't like most of that like that, yeah. that like, line wouldn't that line at the end made me cry the second time because it's so powerful when uh when when daniel craig when blanc says to her you knew which which uh injection was the right one and he says because you're a good nurse yeah yeah you're good at what you do you're like you're a competent person like you care yeah exactly and she's not a janitor she's not like you know which picking up like a chef you know line cook kind of thing that everyone like has that weird and then like gets upset because they're they're taking everybody's job and and it's so it for me that line works so well because such a big part of the movie is these people talking about like well, I built my business from the ground up and I did this. And then you see when they're kind of, when ev- when all the opportunity is taken away from them, when everything that they, their privilege is kind of taken away from them, you know, to use a buzzword, they're like just infuriated and enraged. And that, that line to me is so powerful because he highlights the fact that she actually is a person who came from nothing and she became, she made herself into something, into, into like a noble thing, which is just that she, she, takes care in the work that she does. Like regardless of what the work is, she takes care in, in that she does it. And like that shows that she actually is in a way what these other people are saying that they be, are yeah. pretending to be. Yeah. Yep. Um, that actually brings up a really good uh, moment in the film. That's very subtle. But um, when that scene is going plays, when the family's argument arguing about immigration mm-hmm. and um, Don Johnson's character uh, that's his name. I don't yeah. know why for the long side. I, keep, I was like, I know that. <laughs> John Johnson's character waves her over, and he's like, "Her family did it the right way." Like, you know, like I'm just gonna say it. America is for Americans. Like, which is the dumbest argument ever. But mm-hmm. what he does in that scene is he hands Marta his plate as if she is a servant to them. Yeah, and like that was completely improved from what I heard. Well, like so, oh, like awesome. yeah. So, but it works on so many layers of like there's this, you know, like conversation about these people. Marta is not, that's not her job. And that's another thing. Meg keeps like saying, Oh, or other characters will bring up the fact that, Oh, her job isn't to be this part. Like her job isn't to get ransom a cup of, you know, milk. But you yeah. also get that in like another layer of that being that, uh, what's her, 
name the actual like servant of the house. Oh, Franny. Yeah. Who who is this like white woman who like that that is her role, you know, but they don't actually like treat her that way whatsoever. Like she's sure cleaning around and stuff, but she's doing her own thing. They don't ever like bother her and be like, oh yeah, like they don't do what they do with Marta. Yeah. And, and so you see that like yeah i love, I love that she like has this whole thing like i just love it as a character trait that she like talks about soap operas and like yeah you know, <laughs> like, well, i saw on the you know yeah. lifetime and one of the things i really appreciate about like what's like uh, going into more of the story like one of the things i really appreciate about like ryan johnson and knives out specifically is that he gives you like so much information like in the first half of the movie like um that almost like to, I think some people who aren't uh, going to be, uh, you know, like familiar with his work are going to like be like, well, what's the point of this movie? We know what happened, you know, but um, he kind of lets you know all this information, but there is like enough information to also kind of come to the conclusion of what the movie con- uh, figures out eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? But I just love that he trusts the viewer enough with that information to then, like, you know, still give us a really entertaining, fun movie that, uh, you know, doesn't hold back on any punches that it gives. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, one of the things that I really appreciate about, like, Benjamin Blanc's character is he kind of describes his whole philosophy about how he solves mysteries, and that's exactly how it plays out. Yeah. Like, he talks about how he's an observer, and he comes the truth comes to him you know i didn't even realize that like, that's so true and that's why like yeah. well at the end of the movie when she's like how did you know it was me and it was like well it was always in front of me i just had to figure out how to get there because like her shoe had the blood on it and he right. and he was like oh i pegged you because of that and then but i couldn't just be like it was you like i had to like <laughs> go through the process my yeah. process and it came to me you know yeah yeah right, right. um one of my favorite things going on on the sidetrack that I love is the fact that after the no time to die trailer came out, um, someone posted about like new behind the scene or deleted scenes of knives out. And it was just the entire bond trailer with like <laughs> bond in the, or a Daniel Craig and Anna Darmus. That's, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I, that, you know, not to spiral off into bond, but like, um, that is one thing we were talking about before we started is that it's going to be a little strange now that, uh, Anna Darmus and is going to be, uh, they're not using this word anymore, but she's going to be a Bond girl because for me, like they just didn't, they can't, they didn't say it on set. Right. No, I I just mean like, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, um, that, that's going to be a little weird because like, for me, one of the things that works so well in the movie is like the, the relationship that, um, uh, Craig and Armis have is like, Darmus, Darmus, is that her last name? Yeah. Yeah. Anna Darmus. Anna Darmus that they have is that it's sort of like, um, I don't want to say like father daughter, but it's like, you know, it's definitely platonic, platonic well, and mentor ish. We like. can go into like, that's another reason for like Daniel Craig leaving. He's older, mm-hmm. much older than Anna. And obviously this movie kind of amplifies the fact that like, you know, they're, they're mentor and mentee kind of thing going on. And then we're going to have no time to die. And that's going to be like a love interest. Maybe we don't know yet. It may not very much well be, but well, there's that blonde in the trailer. I don't know who the actress is. Madeline's or uh, Leah Sadu and, and Madeline Swan is, is his love interest, but we get at the beginning, like she's obviously betrayed him in some form. Yeah. Um, and then we have, I, I keep thinking the trailer and I keep telling you, I keep finding more stuff. Lashana Lynch is introduction as her double O status is going to be, in the Bahamas where she, they're going to meet at that party where she's like decked out in her dress and outfit and everything. Mm-hmm. And Bond's probably going to, it's already away from Madeline. He goes to the Bahamas probably runs into Lashana and then she's like hovering around him. So he's thinking, Oh, this girl's interested in me. Yeah. And that's where they'll end up in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. And then he'll be like, why do you keep following me? Instead of being like, Oh, I'm sleeping with you. And then she'll be, and then he'll realize she's a double O and she's, watching him because now we're intertwining into things but going back to um anna de armas yeah I, I think the movie's getting a little too close from knives out to to the till april with uh, no time to die 
And that was another thing that the reason Roger Moore left is because when he did a view to a kill, um, he was already like 50 something years old. Mm -hmm. And then the, his love interest in it was like 20 or young, something younger. And he's like, this is just getting a little too weird for me. Like I can't be doing this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of gets into like the different, you know, expectations of appearance and as far as actresses versus actors goes and how they age and the different types of roles that they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, to get back to the movie, I just want like, I, you know, so, okay. So we sort of praised like how well it's able to kind of like work with its themes. But for me, another, th- the thing that makes it work so well is not just that it has these themes that are like well thought out and like um, in line with what we feel as viewers it's that he's able to pack all of that into a story that just works so well. And that was like the way I am just totally in awe of the way that the story resolves in a way that like is so satisfying and so unexpected for me. I really didn't see, I I saw Chris Evans being the uh, actual murderer somehow. Like I felt like that was coming, but especially when he started telling her, like, did you check your email? His name's literally Ransom. Ransom, right. <laughs> so I saw that coming, but I did not see the way that it unfolded. Yeah. I think one of the one one of the biggest hints the movie does is with which information it chooses to withhold, and it chooses to withhold Ransom's story the longest. Mm. Um, and I think that's why it's pretty clear that he, especially the second time you watch it, that it makes sense he's going to be the one who's going to be the person who set it up to have his grandfather die, um, which we find out because, you know, Marta is such a good nurse that she gave him the right medication anyway, despite Ransom's uh, attempt. And I love that the movie kind of uh, morphs into a who killed, uh, you know, um, oh gosh, uh, why am I blanking on Harlan? Oh. Uh, Harlan Thrombey's, uh, Harlan, Harlan Thrombey's, uh, you know, who killed him to uh, who hired Benny Blanc and why, you know? Yeah. This and that's like, shifts. because um, that's, that's really the mystery of the heart of the film is, and that's what leads to the real uh, person who actually did, you know, end up being the one who ultimately led to his grandfather's death. Um, which I just think is really tragic too, because the fact that I think Harlan Thrombey, and I've tweeted about this when I, when I first saw the movie, um, uh, that Harlan Thrombey kind of represents the ideal or the idea of the American dream and like what it, like a, a, a generous, good, wealthy, rich man, you know, who, actually led to this generation of entitlement, uh, like wealth entitlement. And, and he like, sees that. That's yeah, why he, he gives everything it. to Marta. And then he, you know, re- yeah, exactly. It's gives everything like- to Marta. And the family now shifts the blame from, you know, like uh, their own selves to Marta and like, oh, she must have been blinking my dad or, you know, like, and like trying to find a reason why this is the case when really it's just because she was the only person real human in Harlan's life. And it's like, yeah. And he's passing. It's kind of a passing of the torch too. You know, you can see that in, in a real life situation being like, well, I may have messed up my family, but now you have a chance to like build yours in a positive, like ask, like, take what I gave to you and make something of it Yeah. versus just, Oh, waste it away because I have all this now to do whatever I want. Um, what was the other thought that I was thinking? Oh, uh, I keep forgetting to bring this up to you, Franco, every time this comes up, but I also in the movie felt that Harlan was in on it at some point because he throws the game over and then like the medication obviously gets mixed up and he talks about like, wouldn't it be, ironic if like this is how i go out because it's just like my book or books that i've written and so for the longest time i also thought he was involved with his own like undoing i think the movie kind of like hints that i feel like there that is trying to movie trying to mislead you a little bit as audience because he's talking about how like 
he wants a grandiose death and like he wants to go out and like kind of like a blaze of glory and then he you know is very calm and collected about like everything going on and he's like oh this would be a great book like you know and he's writing down notes about like everything which kind of like that is one thing where I'm like, oh, what if, like, the detectives found those notes, like, oh, you know, switch medication, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, like, they'd be like, oh, well, this might be why he died, you know, but I, I it's a fine thing to ignore, you know, it's, it was great, uh, funny moment and stuff. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, Knives Out, just in general, is just the... Uh, way it blends comedy we're with all the characters it right there we're yeah. gonna see you in part two guys give us one second it, it, we, it, it'll, it stops sorry about that andy was in the middle of a point and uh our recording almost stopped so uh continue with what you were saying well just the way it blended comedy like and uh characters and was i feel like a lot of movies like this would take it very seriously and uh, to the point where you – we don't get, get those comedic moments with characters in these kind of movies anymore. Yeah. And I think that is unfortunately tragic. And a lot of people will like – like one of the biggest detriments to The Last Jedi was, oh, the comedy. Like, oh, I feel like there was just too much comedy. And it's like, why do you guys like not have joy? Like, right, <laughs> like right, exactly. let's just have, you know, like – if it, if it works to the characters, don't complain, you know? Stop. Yeah. And that's why I think, which is, well, I'm going to go back real quick before I jump on that thought because thoughts are just, like, piling on right now. Um, what you were talking about with Ransom's, like, backstory being withheld and everything. Another thing that I, I thought in the movie while watching it, uh, I, like, literally looked at the time and I was like, wow, uh, Chris Evans' character still hasn't shown up in the movie. Right. And so, like, t- they had already talked about Ransom and, Ransom not being here and this and that. And then he finally showed up during the, uh, the will reading. And I was like, wow, that's already like an hour or so into the movie that we've gotten that he just has not appeared. Well, that's one thing I wanted to comment on just briefly is that I think there's a, there's a, there's something, maybe you guys can make, know what to make of this more than I do. There is kind of something in the movie that implies that um, Harlan is not totally, this like paragon of virtue because they make a point of pointing out that uh, Harlan and Ransom are very similar. Mm-hmm. And there's the line about where Harlan says, um, you know, when you've been doing this, I forget the exact line, but you can't, you've been doing this so long. You can't tell the difference between a real knife and a fake one, which is what actually happens to Ransom when he tries to stab Marta is that it's a fake knife. And then there's the fact that, um, just, that's going into the humor thing that, that right. was one of my favorite. Like he's just like, yeah, <laughs> just keeps like <laughs> he just keeps trying to kill her with the. Yeah. the yeah. But the the main the main thing that makes me think that is because LeBlanc actually says it's not LeBlanc, is it? It's Blanc. Yeah, it's Blanc. Okay. It's Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. I don't know why, why do I think LeBlanc. Anyway, Matt um, LeBlanc. Who's from Matt Friends? LeBlanc? From Friends. Yeah, <laughs> Matt LeBlanc thinks says <laughs> at the end of the movie he shows up for two seconds and he's like. Just so you know, uh, no, <laughs> I made out with your sister. <laughs> How you doing? How you no, doing? Like he says, so Blanc says to Marta at the end of the movie, "You won not by playing this game Harlan's way. You may, you won by playing it your way, which is you're a good person." So I don't know that that was just something that was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I think there is that that point that the movie does make subtly that like even though um, Harlan kind of it's represents this old idea of the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a virtuous like idea. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of uh, taking advantage of people and, you know, um, exploitation that happened along the way. Um, one of the things that uh, really stood out to me with ransom uh, specifically is the kind of reoccurring uh, talk about the go game, like the game they, uh, they would all play yeah. and how, like um, both Harlan or Ransom would beat Harlan at the game, but Marta played the game better, but her playing it wasn't because she was trying to win. It was purely because she liked making beautiful patterns. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's just a very like innocent, innocent way of, and just true to her character. She wasn't trying to play this game to 
protect herself, she was trying to protect her mother. And I think that kind of just testifies to, uh, is a testimony to her character. She was willing to just, you know, come, tr- uh, come out and tell the truth, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, one of the things that I think like the film paints subconsciously in your mind every so often in the, in it is the, like you literally like in the back of your head, innocent, you know, because one of the big factors of her character is she can't lie. She's like so innocent that she like, it just she makes her literally sick. Gonna, yeah. Lies, yeah. And then, you know, just like you get, it's just, you know, every so often yeah. it gets, you're like innocent. She's, it's not her. It's not her. It's not her. Which, which I was going to say um, to me that, that, that I see this in a, a lot of Ryan Johnson's work, it seems like he's kind of a master of that, that old, like, I don't know if it's a playwriting saying or, or screenwriting or where it comes from, but that old, like adage that people have that. If uh, Chekhov's gun. Yes. The gun has to, yeah. if there's a gun, it has to go off. Um, Cause he'd always, he does that. He introduces something and he's like, something's going to happen with this. You don't know what it is. And it's always, for me, it's always so satisfying when it finally does surface. It's true. He's very good at that. Um, like, the last Jedi, you know, first act, Luke Skywalker is like, I'm not, you know, you, what do you expect me to do? Like go in front of the first order with a laser sword. Right. And then that's exactly what he does. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that line is the, the gun in that situation. And, um, yeah. so I think that, uh, that is very true about Ryan Johnson and his work. And, um, I definitely recommend if you guys have not checked out like, uh, brick, which is on Netflix right now, um, Brothers Bloom, which I don't know where that's streaming or if it's yeah, streaming anywhere. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, that. That's really good. Blooper is, of course, wonderful. Um, and then uh, you have, uh, you know, Star Wars: The Last Jedi and Knives Out now. So. And I think about it, the, he never get his films never get out a hundred percent like clean cut. There's always a group of people that are super pissed about it. They're always like, "What is he trying to say about me?" Or like, you is know, that, so. does that happen with this one? Not yet. That's the thing. Like, not. I have that's seen. Gonna go so into. okay, I have a weird. I don't know if I'm a masochist, but I love like reading <laughs> people's tweets about movies after like they come out and after I see them. And like, I like when I when when I saw the Last Jedi, I walked out of the movie like, oh my gosh, I loved that movie. Like, The Force Awakens, I liked, but I, I came out of the Last Jedi like, oh man, I love this movie. I felt the same. Like, way. and um, I was excited to see like the discourse about it. And immediately the first tweet was, oh, my gosh, Ryan Johnson ruined Star Wars. Yeah. And right. I was like, what? <laughs> like, did we and watch two different movies? I think yeah. he's a modern, like, master class of a filmmaker when it comes to, you know, his movies are great. And, like, a mass audience loves them. But there's going to be those people that hate it. And then eventually it's going to age. And they're going to get past that. And all of a sudden they're going to, like wow, what a classic film. Yeah. Like, you know, it's and, and uh, the thing that I really admire about him too, is that throughout all of the criticism that he got from, you know, whiny people on the internet for last Jedi, he was classy hundred percent the whole time. And the only time that I saw him like fight best, you know, you know, kind of shoot back was when people were talking about, um, Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah. Kelly Marie Tran, which by the way, if you listen to this podcast and you're saying mean things about Kelly Marie Tran, because you don't like Rose or you don't like last Jedi, you can stop listening. I don't want you to listen to this show. <laughs> Just gonna throw that out there. Um, we oh. don't care that you don't think she's a well-written character. She's fantastic, and you just don't understand it. Well, guys, I guess <laughs> I'm off the podcast. Then. <laughs> just, just kidding. Don't look at me like that. Like, really? What? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like what I was going into was Ryan Johnson always gets shit on for like all this feels like Last Jedi. He's got major hate. Looper. A lot of people were like. That's not a science fiction film. No, that's not. That's not how anything would work. And then, um, it's just like he offends a group yeah. of people. And then I did not haven't seen that yet for Knives Out, which is really cool. Like maybe people are starting to understand Ryan Johnson finally because it's not like he's done many. He's this is his fifth film. Yeah. Um, and there's just something about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's got to be in every single one. Yep. Yeah, I love his cameo. So was he Doctor Hard Hard Rock? Um, detective hard rock detective hard rock yeah yeah i think so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just we like have footage on the baby <laughs> the any cam um yeah I, I didn't like realize it both times i watched it that that was him until i saw a tweet i was like oh, i still don't know who so he plays sense. in last jedi though I uh he plays the alien that it gets you know all in a tiffy about another parking 
That's like, him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I'm pretty sure. I have to go um, back and check. I, it out. I'll have to look it up, but I'm pretty Told sure that's him. It, it, it's either <laughs> that or he plays like um, his voice is like heard during the casino bit. Okay, um, but I, I pretty sure it's that. Awesome. I remember the everyone saying that was him. Speaking, um, speaking of which, um, there is a just to to plug something. There's an excellent podcast that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt did with Ryan Johnson. He did a series of podcasts for his company called Hit Record. And uh, he did them with each with different people who were specialists in different fields. And Ryan was like the filmmaker. And they just had a long ranging discussion about like writing and creativity. And um, they talked about Last Jedi and kind of what he was going for with it. Which and it was really interesting to hear him talk about it. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So one of the things like that I really admire about Ryan Johnson's way of storytelling is that he is primarily focused on story. I think a lot of films will put a lot of emphasis on plot. And not so much like character driven, like um, story where plot takes kind of second, like mm-hmm. to the story. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get confused when that happens because a lot of movies, modern day movies are very plot centric. Like, oh, we need to ca- get this MacGuffin and, you know, like stop the bad guys from doing this horrible thing, you know, mm-hmm. whereas Ryan Johnson is more interested in telling a story where characters go from point A maybe emotionally to point B emotionally throughout the story and plot yeah. is very secondary. So like, for example, with the last Jedi, you have a movie that is like basically dismissal dismissive of like any really big plot points. And I think a lot of people will complain about like little plot points that are there. Like, Oh, like the, the ch- slow chase through space. Like why, why does that exist? Like, right. you know, and like, they don't understand that that's not really the focus of the movie at all. Mm-hmm. That's just the, you know, what's propelling this characters forward. And that's Literally. what I really appreciate about his way of telling stories is that his, he's more concerned about, he uses plot minimally where it gets the characters moving where they need to go. Um, but is not like, a big focus. And I think that's lacking in a lot of storytelling these days. No, I think that's a very good point. Monique just walked in. That's why we pause <laughs> for Monique. For all of like three seconds. Um, what was another thing that I was like trying to go into was, uh, da, da, da. going back into the humor of thing, the whole like donut monologue. Oh, <laughs> yes, it's not a donut. Although I hole, just... it's a little or do- a smaller donut, and we gotta find the donut hole. <laughs> You're at the donut hole in Why the donut. Why do I keep thinking about donut? donut. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do want to say that as much as I, I, the donut monologue is is genius. But for me, like my, the the moment in the film that was the funniest to me is actually uh, when just because I identify with this moment so hardcore, where like, um. Blanc is sitting in the car and he's just like listening to music and like singing and like enjoying his life. And then the, the <laughs> sirens come up behind him, like the, the ambulance, and he's just like looks out the window and he's like, oh no. <laughs> he's like, oh no, we gotta get out. I know. And it's... he's listening to some musical, like, yeah, in, the, in his head. Yeah. So happy. And then he's like, oh no. Um, and, and, oh, I was like, what was I gonna run about? Franco kind of ruined the film in a moment because he had already seen it before. And I don't even, I can't even remember what it was. You didn't actually ruin it, but I was gonna say, excuse me. But he, there was a moment, evil laugh upstairs. Um, that like, cause he'd already seen it. So he knew what was coming. And I think it was actually just before the donut monologue, you like burst out laughing for no reason. And I was like, Oh, that's what? What? Like, this is oh, not a funny scene. Oh, because he hadn't really got into it yet. He just started talking about it. And then I was like, because I knew that he was going to talk. Because it, it starts out so, that's what's so genius about it, is It starts out so, like, him just being ominous. And he's like. Yeah, because the best part. Something like, like, fit. Daniel like, Craig's introduction to it is literally, like, <laughs> they just shift the camera a little bit in the, in the like, library. Oh. Because he's been there the whole time. But, like, they start with um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character. And the detective just asking questions, and then they like go into different characters in the questioning, and then they decide just out of just randomness, just change the angle, and we see Daniel Craig all blurred out in the background, and then he hits the keyboard, the uh, piano key, and then they're like, well, "Who's that? Who the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <That's, laughs> give me a moment. Like, who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, I love um, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, I know who you are. I just don't know what are you doing here. I will not be baited into talking." 
And then her, her husband, the next scene, is like, what I'll tell you. you shit. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so bad. Oh, so man. Um, yeah, it's just, what can you, I mean, there's so much to say about this movie. Yeah, there is. It's hard to get to, like, it's hard to, like, pull like approach it structurally because yeah you can't because like, your thoughts just fire just off you're like oh there's this and then this uh i that just happened to me a second ago there was uh was one of the thoughts that i was thinking about with uh i think it was daniel craig um i, I can't remember but uh another one that this is the more like structurally written in the story is ryan johnson's creed creation of um the uh, the other son, the younger one, what's his name? The uh, masturbating Nazi in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> the masturbating Nazi boy. <laughs> um, I know, and Daniel Craig's delivery of that line was so great. That was amazing. Um, I don't, I'm, I'll look. I'll look up the name. He, uh, but that character was the creation of the response to Last Jedi, like hate, and that's what he created. Was his like that's his vision of what he sees them as. Jacob Trombley. There you go. Yep. And it, it fits so well with like the internet trolls and how like how they are bashing his last film. And he's like, I'm just put you in the film like this. This is your Yeah, and I mean they mostly probably are like kids, like the ones that are like dedicating their internet life yeah. to yeah. bashing his and they're movie, literally like, sitting in the bathroom, yeah. you know, just like on their phone all day. <laughs> yeah. You know what's mean, dead deer? Honestly, uh, I, I think this film, like, cause, just because of so many times that we've quoted it, I think this film is, is right up there for me with The Princess Bride and how quotable it is. Just so many great lines. That's true. Like, I even, I, so getting to that, like, one of the things I really love about Ryan Johnson is his way of writing dialogue. Like, ever since Brick, which, if you guys haven't seen it, like, he, that movie, like, blew my mind in terms of, like, dialogue and how he uses it. Um, uh, but because it's very noir and like very uh, like saying the most you can with the least amount of words. But so like one of the things that going back to how I looked at Twitter, the only, I only saw a couple complaints about this movie, but um, one of them was, Oh, they don't talk. Like, uh, you know, like that's not how people talk. And I'm like, why would you want to go to a movie where people talk the way like people talk? Right. Like that to me, like, would be a very like just lead to very boring dialogue that I, you know. So mm-hmm. the fact that he does play out dialogue in a way that's interesting and like humorous and you know like Absolutely. really like cr- like creates this way of these characters talking like Benoit Blanc, like how he uh, like my favorite scene is like when he's out in the dark and Marta comes out and he's just like he's like have you ever heard of Gravity's Rainbow <laughs> and then it's like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I've never read it, and he's like, nobody has. <laughs> like, it's just like we all own the book. No one's actually read the book. Yeah, yeah it's just like it's that's just... a, going into that too with the the accent. And everything is he breaks the tradition of it being like some British sleuth from across the world coming to uh, investigate, and it's some guy from the south. It's James Bond from the south. Yeah, but yeah, you get exactly. James Bond's actor, and he's a southerner, and. He, his but his name's not southern he's benoit blanc and it's just like internationally like well-renowned like fancy name but he's from the south you know and you get and and you get like chris evans obviously pointing that out and they're like this is csi kfc like, you know <laughs> and like just like he's from they keep pointing that he's from the south this isn't some international spy it's some guy for the some guy who just decided to become a sleuth um which was which i would love a prequel series to like learn where Benoit, it would be fun to see him like be in some swamp or like somewhere being like this is where it was this is where i grew up and like um, came to be and i just like had no nothing else but uh reading books and learned to become a sleuth this movie Sherlock did kind of make me think that daniel craig has an affinity for southern accents because mm. this is the second time playing a character with a uh, ridiculous southern accent uh he was in um oh, what's that movie it's a uh it has an adam driver in it it's a uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Lucky Logan. Lucky oh, Logan, nice. and, and he plays uh, Joe Bang, who uh, has even more ridiculous Southern accent. To be honest, like, like I appreciated Benny Blanc's Southern accent way more than that one. But you can um, you can definitely tell like he's gotten m- more loose with it because uh, I think his like first I don't know if it's actually his first time around with it, but his what I remember seeing firstly of him trying to get that accent was uh, Cowboys and Aliens. 
and he plays like a Western, like, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, but it's not as ridiculous and out there as what those last two movies, he's just like, I'm just going to go full force yeah. with it. You know, we forgot to mention Daniel Gregg's like greatest work, uh, you know, uh, Tomb Raider. Nah. <laughs> I always think about that because I, I was like, before Bond, what did he do? Like, what is he known for? And I was like, ah, he was in Tomb Raider. Yeah. He's always like, Lara, Lara in the like, movie. And I'm just yeah. like, all right, Daniel Craig. Yeah, the, the, that's just, yeah. What's... Um, And then it was a, another really fun thing that I had in the movie that I, I messaged you after I dropped you off and like went home and I was like, Oh my God is the uh, transference of the baseball. Uh, oh uh, yes. Like when, yeah. yeah when uh, Don Johnson and Christopher Plummer are in the office talking about the affair, uh, they focus on the baseball a little bit. And then like Don Johnson's in the room alone and throws the baseball at the window, which ultimately goes to the dogs, which goes to LeBlanc, which ends up back to Jamie Lee Curtis. And that's where she finds the letter when she puts the, the baseball back in and it's that. just this cool little, like we're going to go full circle here. That's another thing. Like I love uh, how we kind of get hints about that throughout the movie about her having like the special way of communicating with her dad. Yeah. Yeah. And then we see the notes that have the, like the same little like stamp or sticker on them mm-hmm. and like there's words on them. And then at the end when she, you finally find out the way they communicate, like it was just a great, like little side story going on that I at least like like paid off because I feel like a lot of movies will <laughs> introduce things like that and then just drop them. Yeah, it's like what was and, the point of that? Yeah, exactly. Whereas this movie like really like played up like those side stories a little bit more. Um and I just that those last few shots of the movie are oh, just, oh, like Martha in the house. Yes. Yes. Like yeah. some of the greatest like Last shots of a movie, I've and ever you don't seen. even know what she her she's gonna ultimately do. You know, I they just that. sit there being like, "Is she gonna help the family, or is she just gonna let them?" I love that she puts just the mug, my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She grabs the was it my coffee, my whatever, my house, my rules. Yeah. yeah. Um, which those mugs are for sale, so I, I, cool. I ended up getting one. I'm like, I'm um, to. Yeah. I think she would help Meg out because she's like, "No, you're not. You're gonna go to school. Like, you're not. You're not gonna." drop out or anything so but i love the you know for me the thing is i don't even really care about what she does like we can probably infer from the type of person she is what she will do but for me the thing that's so powerful about that moment is that it's like the 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 tables are totally turned and now these like wealthy people who have grown up in like the lap of luxury are the ones who are uncertain about the future they don't know what's going to happen to them like they don't know if they're going to get any money from her or if they're all going to kind of have to actually fend for themselves now. And they're looking up at her and she's up on the balcony now. She's in this elevated space now. And now they kind of, they, they can sort of start to understand what it was like to be in her shoes where, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't, favorite, I, it's up to me. My favorite characterization though, is a uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in that moment. Cause she just like kind of slumps off and like, it's smoking her cigarette, just like yeah. staring her down. Well, she'll be fine. We know that she'll, that Jamie Lee Curtis will be fine. Oh, she told yeah, me, she like, has her own. Yeah, she has her own. Her husband will not. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, but I think that's that's why is like I think it's more of a a shot of like Jamie Lee Curtis being of admiration towards Marta because like she's she Jamie Lee Curtis is like I have my own thing like what I it's it's chess pieces well, think, in your court now. I think that for Jamie Lee Curtis's character, she's. She's not super upset that she's losing out of the money. She's upset that her she's losing that uh, entitlement. Yeah, you know, which she ex- she expected to be recognized as the heir of his, you know, fortune mm-hmm. and yeah. all that. And I think that's where you kind of get that look of disdain in Jamie Lee Car- uh, Curtis's character at the end, where she's mm-hmm. kind of like eyeing Marta down and taking a drag, and it's just a great like shot like those two shots together where she's lifting a cigarette smoking. And then you have Marta just like lifting the mug <laughs> and it's yeah. just like, ah, it's so great. I love that um, well shot. So those two shots work so well together. Um, I just uh, adding more to the humor. I love, and this actually like plays out in two different ways, but for the humor aspect of it being, um, when they go to the, uh, was it the, uh, collections, building Mm -hmm. and it's on fire and like benny catches uh marta's car and starts walking to it and then they they race off and the cops catch him in like two seconds because it's a shitty little car 
Um, but that also serves a purpose for Chris Evans' character because it it makes him look more innocent because he's like, oh, she kidnapped me, and then she decided to just like race off, and and he could play with it if he wanted to, if he needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really like cover do that. But it's just another option for him to kind of like blame Marta for things and like she's guilty. Look, she ran off from you guys. Um, but then at the end of that scene, he's the one who gets arrested. So that was something I was going to ask, like in the last couple minutes. Um, what do you guys think of Chris Evans' performance in the film? Like it was, it was very interesting to me to see him as, <laughs> like, the, what I said to somebody is like, I wasn't like I wasn't looking at him and thinking like, oh, it's Captain America, but. I did have this strange moment towards the end of the movie when um, Blanc is talking to uh, Ransom and he said, and I just was like watching them and I was like, James Bond is roasting Captain America. This is very weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I liked it. And like what you pointed out, the fact that he's played uh, Captain America so long and uh, for him to become like this villain, you know, and like, everyone would expect him subconsciously to be a good guy because of seeing him in that, that performative space and then into this. But that's what I like about Chris Evans as an actor is his, he can jump from those different ranges um, outside of Captain America. He's done like Snowpiercer where he's just this battle torn, like Mm. uh, I'm not a hero character, but I have to be because it just fell upon me. And then um, to, What's that movie like? Is it called Gifted, or something? With he has his like little the little girl that he takes care of, and she's like super smart, and he right. he plays that like. Let's not forget about the Human Torch. I mean, he was incredible <laughs> in, in that role. He was fantastic. He can totally <laughs> unplug as an actor and just like have fun with things and just. Like, <laughs> um, one of the things <laughs> that's that one thing was... they missed. They should have had at least one like sub reference in in the Marvel universe. Like, yeah, Human Torch. One of the things the movie does well with his character as well is that because it withholds his story um, and we kind of see the other family in this light of they're liars, they're, you know, like not good people, mm-hmm. you know, um, the fact that he's the black sheep could be interpreted as, oh, maybe, you know, he's not that bad, like as they're saying he is. Yeah. Because these people are assholes. So maybe they, you know, he's like actually good. He could, he's my, you know, he, he the movie like lets your guard down around him a little bit because he's helping Marta or yeah. seemingly helping her. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point. It's cause you also get that like moment of like, he's like, screw my family. Like I hate my family the whole way. He's like, I hate my family, but it's also what serves to be his, uh, his like, you, you're the one who did it is cause he hates his family, you know? And he is like, I'll, I'll tra- I'll, uh, not transpire, I'll uh, conspire against you in any way that I can. And this is ultimately what leads to his like downfall. Cause he also hired Benny to like try to prove Marta was the one. Um, and that's cause ransom was playing the go game the way his grandfather would play it, you know, and the like detective story and whereas Marta's, they all fell apart cause Marta was playing her game, you know, and yeah. as always has. Yep. Um, and uh, what I was going to say, ransom, like the fact, like when you watch that scene of him in the cafe, once you know everything, like the second time you watch it, you kind of pick up on like his concerns um, that start like forming based on what Marta's telling him, like how the fact that they found footprints in the hallway or mm-hmm. mud prints. Yeah. And he's like, oh, can they identify them? Like, that's oh, like him asking because he's concerned that they might be able to identify his footprints. That's true. But at the same time, he also knew how to avoid that. He, like, got on the cobblestones. Uh, of course, there's, like, a whole chunk of, like, land to get to before you get to the house, but he tried to cover his tracks as best he could, yeah. and then he had to deal with the dogs, too. Yep. I, I think that uh, all the pieces are there in Ryan, like, the movie. It's, it's just... I don't know. Ryan Justice has a way of writing so tightly that like he there's not very many plot holes you can miss uh, or you could establish in the, especially in knives out um, and that's one of the things I do appreciate about him and his storytelling is he's not concerned about plot holes anyway like looper he, I would say probably his, that's the movie where he does have a lot of plot holes mm-hmm. but narratively it still works yeah 
Like, and that's what I can appreciate about him. He's he plot comes second to him. I need to rewatch Looper, and I honestly I'm kind of thinking like maybe we should just do like a Ryan Johnson series and do a couple episodes. You are you have a list of things. I know. I'm always telling DeAndre like, <laughs> like we should do an episode about this. We should do an episode, but, but, an episode yeah. fully dedicated to uh, who was it? You told me someone like before this that you're like oh we should just have a marathon on uh what was it? I don't remember. Was it Ridley Scott? No, I don't want to watch. Bunch of really scum I'm just trying to remember, <laughs> like, <laughs> watch Alien, but Denny, there, there's villain. a villain. Uh, I think we've talked about that, but but in any event, if we uh do end up doing that, just another Ryan Johnson episode, we'll be happy to have Andy back on the show and Ryan Johnson. To him. And Ryan Johnson, if you're if by chance you hear this, we would love to have you on the podcast. We would, uh, you know, if you're coming through New Mexico, we'll buy you a breakfast burrito. Good idea. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by Ryan Reynolds and the Peloton ad. Thank you for your service, sir. The new Peloton. What was the Peloton ad? That be... Was it like a vodka ad? It was, was the. That? Wow. Wow. I know you sent it to me, but I don't remember what it was. Unbelievable. I haven't seen it. It's okay. It's gin, though, right? It's oh, it a gin? Ryan Reynolds. It's for Ryan Reynolds' company, the Aviation Gin, which he's had like all oh, his ads. Oh, I see what you're saying. Are saying. really okay. funny. And it was a smooth mood to just like snag the actress off the Peloton ad and literally have her like with friends sipping on the gin, you know, and just like ghost eyes. And she like, you don't know what happened prior to this situation. She might've killed them. Like who knows? (laughs) And they're just like the, the ad. I remember like on the Instagram, they were like, no bikes needed or something. No exercise bike necessary or something Uh, something like that. that. I don't know, but it was such a smooth, like holiday plug that, in that, that was so smart they were just like we're gonna hire the same actress they did that so fast swoop in and <laughs> take advantage of this and then people you know they see that they're gonna remember that when they see that gin well, i've all, already want aviation gin i just haven't bought one yet but it's just i love every ad that they introduce even yeah. like the fact that the other one that came out with ryan reynolds is he has his new movie six underground coming out um on netflix and they teamed up with samsung for the ad and so he's in like a standard living room setting with the tv playing the trailer of six underground he's like the yeah. best way to watch my movie is on the biggest samsung qled screen you can find uh and then it like the tv like cuts out from the trailer yeah and it's an aviation gin ad in the background <laughs> and like someone's like did you just plug in an ad for an ad That's in our ad and like it's so good i love that all right, well, uh, um, this has been a fun episode. We um, Speaking of which, if you guys haven't seen yet as well, go check out the trailer for Free Guy, uh, which is also another Ryan Reynolds film, and it took me three watches to realize what it was about. I'll show you guys. Okay. Um, but anyways. Yeah, I am having an exercise bike dropped off in about two minutes. It's not a Peloton, but Peloton, if you hear this and you still want to sponsor us, I forgive you for that ad. We will accept your sponsorship. I will talk about you every single episode. I'm already doing it. You might as well just, just sponsor us. You might as well just do it. You know, come on. What's what's the what's the holdup? Um, holidays are coming up. Holidays. 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 Welcome to the holidays. <laughs> the holidays are coming up. The holidays are coming up. Uh, holidays are here. We already passed Thanksgiving. Yeah, we already passed Thanksgiving. We're all, almost to Christmas. We're almost to Star Wars, which is a holiday for me. Um, you guys got any big holiday plans? You're right. Star Wars is this Friday, guys. Um, Star Wars, and that's about it. This Friday. No, it's not. It's actually... That's this Friday. No, it's the next one. The 13th. No. You know you're going to be excited for this. That's not what it is. It is the 13th. No, it's not. It comes out the 13th. Why? No, it comes out the 20th. It comes out the 20th? Yep. Yeah, comes what comes 20th. out the 13th that I'm like, oh, I, okay. I'm blinding thing. Okay. Okay. Well, um... We hope everybody out there, uh, no matter what you're doing for the holidays, you have some cool holiday plans. You can spend some time with family. Um, hope you're drinking some eggnog. Hope you're singing some Christmas carols. Or don't. And watching some horrible Christmas films. Yeah, you got to do that. I know, personally, I'm excited to see that movie where um, Vanessa Hudgens is dating an elf or something like that. I mean, <laughs> oh, what? I probably just butchered the, the I don't know what the plot is. I just remember Vanessa Hudgens' Christmas movie. So, yeah. All right. Just go enjoy Elf. (laughs) We're honored to have Andy on this episode. Uh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Any last words for the the listeners? Um, Definitely check out more Ryan Johnson's work. Uh, 
Detective Pikachu is the year's best. Um, and yeah, um, if you want to see crazy hot take on hot takes on Twitter, really bad ones, um, you can follow me at Andy Talk Stuff. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Go follow Andy on Twitter. His takedown of um, Star Wars and Ryan Johnson trolls are always excellent. You just help us fill that donut hole in in the donut. Everything's gonna be all right. We should go get some donuts. We should. But get you some, see, it made that, me want. In donuts. that donut, there's actually a small donut. And that that is where Andy resides. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna go get a donut and get a little donut hole and put it in the donut. And hole. cut a hole in the donut hole. That'll just be what do you what do you call that? It's like a cake. Donutception. Go <laughs> 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 get a cake. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.